Monetization Nation. I'm your host, Nathan William, and welcome back to another episode with Ethan Butte. Ethan is the chief evangelist at BombBomb and co-author of Human-Centered Communication. Today, we're going to discuss the power of video messages and specifically how video is much more effective than text. We'll cover the following key takeaways. Number one, video establishes trust and credibility in a way that text or images just can't. Number two, our customers want to know our intent and motivation before they buy from us. Video helps show our sincerity and honesty. Number three, we can consider using video instead of text when the message is personal, emotional, or complex. And number four, a lot of successful client-customer relationships are based on shared beliefs. We should share our passions with our customers. So you talked about video a lot. And in your book, I think video is one of the most consistent themes. You talk about video in a lot of your chapters. And um, you talk about video as, as a way to build more trust and, and have these human center communications. Will you talk about that? Why is video so important in this process? For the past 30 years, let's say, so much of what we have tried to get done, we've relied on faceless typed out text. The same black text on the same white screen that doesn't differentiate you, doesn't build trust and rapport, and doesn't communicate nearly as well as when you look someone in the eye through a webcam or a smartphone, right? And so we need to unbundle in our mind uh, different ways that we can use video. Now, video has gotten a lot more nuanced, but when we first started talking about video in the way that I'll get to next, um, which is casual and conversational, either live synchronous video over Zoom or Google Meet or Microsoft Teams or whatever, or recorded video messages, which is something we do at BombBomb. We have a number of other uh, competitive services that do something similar. When we're talking about casual conversational video communication, we're not talking about scripts, lights, editing, production, drones, green screens, um, you know, YouTube channels, videos for your home page, video for your social feed. You can and should be doing all those things. I think those are all helpful too. But for the purpose of what we're talking about here, we're talking about relationships through video. We're talking about video communication. We're talking about connecting and communicating in digital, virtual, and online spaces in a more effective way than faceless typed out text. And we have a ton of research, especially in the first book, Rehumanize Your Business, about the shortcomings of faceless typed out text. And yet somehow it's become the default, the norm, whether, whether it's an email and Slack and LinkedIn in, you know, all these other channels that we're communicating in, we're just hoping that we're, you know, that we're good enough writers to capture what we feel and what we think, type it up. You know, it's an intellectual exercise. So that strips us of some of our, you know, intuition and our, the emotional charge behind what we're doing. We hope that we get it right. We sometimes punch in an emoji, which Research also says tends to create more confusion than it does resolve confusion. You know, is that smiley face? Is he joking? Is he being passive aggressive? I don't know. You know, and so um, we have all these things that we've we've done to try to make it more clear what we mean, to try to help people say yes more quickly and easily. And yet the answer has been with us for at least five to seven years. I've been at BombBomb for over a decade full-time helping people record and send video messages. In the beginning, internet connections were not nearly as good. Cameras are not nearly as good. But I mean, really, the past five to seven years, there's no reason we couldn't flip our cameras on for a Zoom call or flip our cameras on for a video message to drop into an email or a Slack message or a somewhere else. 
And the reason this matters is, is that it fills in all the needs that human, human brains seek, all the data it seeks, the intent data that it seeks to know and to feel secure in proceeding, in engaging, in saying yes, in returning the phone call, in clicking the link, in filling out the survey, in making the personal introduction, in accepting the request, all these things that we need people to say yes to so that we can be successful. I'm not just talking about the big sales or marketing conversion. It's all these yeses that we need. We help people say yes more confidently and more quickly, assuming that we're operating with sincerity you know, that we actually do believe in what we're saying, that we do believe in our product and service. When we do communicate this in video, we're satisfying that gap that people have just to return to where I was in that identity verification step. Again, humans seek to understand our intent, our motivation, whether we believe what we say and whether we have the other person's best interest in mind before they actually judge, is this person competent to deliver? Are the features and benefits there? Is the price right? All these other like decision-making criteria, those all trail the judgment of human intent. Because if we even start going down that road, but someone doesn't have our best interest in mind, we're likely to be manipulated. The consequences millennia ago could have been fatal. So this is deep in the human experience. And the problem is when we communicate with people in ways that don't include that rich human data through our bodies and our voices and our faces in video, then people's brains, they don't, they don't say, okay, well, we'll go ahead without this data. It makes the information up. It fills in the gaps and it doesn't fill it in, in our best interest as the sender or provider or creator of this message or experience. Instead, people fill it in subconsciously, by the way, um, in ways that protect them. And so they generally are going to assume the worst of you in those scenarios. And so video is just a slight return to a human experience, given it's flat, given it sucks, given Zoom fatigue, given all the other criticisms we can make, in so many cases, it's still better than faceless typed out text. Yeah, I agree. We all know it's better, but being able to communicate it's better. Let's talk about Bonbon really quick. How are the best ways to use video messaging specifically? Sure. So I could, um, if anyone wants, you can email me. It's Ethan, E-T-H-A-N, at bombbomb.com. Send me a personal email, Ethan, at bombbomb.com. I will reply back with, I say I've written two and a half books. There's a half book in between these two books that goes through at least 60 use cases across the entire customer life cycle and across the entire employee life cycle, and even includes some use cases uh, within your own personal and professional networks. I guess what I'll share here is most of the conversation so far has been about video prospecting, top of funnel, creating um, awareness, breaking through, differentiating simply by the act of sending video. And that is a fine use case. Um, I do think if you approach it for attention alone and not for its full benefits, and you lose sight of all the opportunities we have throughout our day to uh, connect and communicate more effectively, that you're taking a myopic view and, and it's going to wind up like something. You know, people say marketers ruin everything. Um, and now we can say salespeople ruin everything because they have automation tools that are just as powerful as marketers started getting, you know, with marketing automation, maybe, you know, five to 10 years ago, it's all, you know, there are all these, uh, sequence and cadence tools that salespeople have too. And so, um, you know, we're, we have a potential to burn it out if we think of it exclusively as a top of funnel prospecting tool, although that's a fine use case. Um, I'll give you, uh, three things to look for. If you are typing up a message or you've already typed it up and a machine is sending it for you, and it fits one of these three criteria, it might be better 
it very often is better to include a video message. The first one is personal connection, and that's why video prospecting is so powerful. Now I'm not just an email signature. I'm not assumed to be a machine, especially if I do it in a truly personal, bespoke manner. Hey, I'm the dude that left you that voicemail and sent you that LinkedIn request. I just wanted to put a face with the name and let you know, blah, 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 right? So personal connection, people will feel like they know you before they ever meet you. It's also great in that scenario after maybe a networking event to the degree that we're physically getting together again. You know, you maybe make some connections, you have some new LinkedIn connections or you swap business cards or whatever you're doing there, following up with a video to reestablish that personal connection and to separate yourself from the dozens, if not hundreds of other people they may have met there and remind them what it's like to be in conversation with you and perhaps tee up whatever the next step is. So personal connection. The next one is emotion or tone. Um, whether it's positive, thank you. Good job. Congratulations. I've been thinking about you. I was sorry to hear. Now I'm bleeding into kind of like some, the, the negative side of it. I was really sorry to see. I was sorry to hear. Um, I need to apologize. I'm sorry. Um, I need to share some bad news. Anything that has emotional charge one way or the other is so much better in a video than it is in text because you can nail the nuance of it, especially again, if you're sincere, if you're not sincere, we've all seen the apology from the celebrity or the athlete or the politician where, sorry, not sorry, we know they don't mean it. If that's who you are in this situation, don't use video. But if you're truly excited for someone or truly concerned about someone or truly regretful of something that happened with regard to one or more people, sending a video is a great way to manage that emotion or tone. And then the third and final one is detail or complexity. Typically, this is also really well done with a screen recording where you can walk through a report or a contract or a proposal or some analytics and make complex or difficult things easier for people to understand with through a, like a show and tell manner. Um, responding to any customer inquiry, so much better done with a, a video because you don't have to get in your own head and type it all up and hope that they hope that you understood the question correctly and hope that they understand what you mean. It allows you to put things into layperson's terms a little bit and it positions you as the expert when you're responding to inquiries um, and, uh, you know, helping people through any kind of confusion or frustration um, by simply talking to them rather than typing. And so, you know, whether you're a, in sales, marketing, customer success, whether you're in leadership or management, whether you're a recruiter, uh, whether you're in operations, uh, whether you're in finance, by the way, think about all the trouble in accounts payable and accounts receivable relative to some of that digital pollution we were talking about. Is this from who it says it's from? Is this attachment safe to download? Is this link safe to click? Does my CEO really want me to forward, uh, like, uh, make this payment, right? We've had, you know, seen all kinds of things happen. And so to the degree that we can make it easier for people to understand who we are and what their opportunity is, um, those are all opportunities for video. So that's a quick go at it. There are, I mean, we spend hours on this topic. Um, and, and obviously I'm a big proponent of it. So I'm writing a book that's called Credibility Marketing, and I'm probably three quarters of the way done with this book. Awesome. And there's a chapter about video and how video enhances credibility. And there's a chapter, um, well, going back, you, you've talked about various things that have to do with credibility marketing. And this is one of my passions. Um, I, I believe 70% of our customers don't trust anything we say about ourselves. And we have to find much more credible ways to, to communicate. And uh, I believe this is one of the big tectonic shifts that's transforming our business landscape today. Um, we've talked about video helping credibility and trust. We've talked about how being authentic and human centric can help our credibility and trust. Do you have um, any other uh, elements that uh, maybe stories or examples or strategies uh, that you think would be important to enhance our 
credibility marketing? Sure. Um, I'm going to go back. This is just a way to create. Here's the thing. I, gosh, I really want to read your book. Um, and I, like, I don't want to get too presumptuous about credibility, which is a word that I don't use that often. You know, to me, um, credibility is something that is assigned to you by someone else. You cannot assign it to yourself. It's like so many other things. I always say like, if someone ca calls themselves classy, there's a really good chance they're not. You know, so, so it's, I'm a very credible person. Hey, you can believe me. Hey, you can trust me. Now, sometimes if it's context, it's all, it's all about context, but in general, it's something that we demonstrate through our consistency in word and deed. It's something we demonstrate by acting in service of other people. It's something that we learn about ourselves when someone explicitly or implicitly gives it back to us or, or conveys to us through their words or behavior um, that they believe us and that they trust us. And so what I would say is that um, one format, and I'm going way back, um, this was in our first book. It's a simple formula. I'm sure people listening have heard a similar one, but it, it, this goes back to kind of what's in it for them before we ever type a word or open up the call or record a video or whatever, what's in it for them. Here's a structure I really like. We call it empathy, value, call to action. Empathy is meeting them where they are, um, which is, you know, is this conversation starting because their world's on fire and they desperately need your help? Or are they coming to you because their world is amazing and they want it to be more amazing? Those are two different conversations and two different starting points. Empathy also means, you know, some of these things we've already talked about. I see you. I understand you. I respect you. Um, I respect your time. I respect your attention. I've done my homework. I listened to the things that you've told me in the past and now I'm reflecting them back to you. Starting with some degree of empathy and awareness that um, essentially you're giving them what every human being needs, which is to be seen and heard and understood and respected and valued. Um, every single one of us, even the most hardcore, badass type A person needs that deeply. Um, it's what we need as individual human beings. Um, and so, and I think a lot of dis-ease or unhealth comes when we're not getting it the way we need it or the way we want it for any of a variety of reasons. Um, and so I think the more we can give that to other people, the healthier we are, the healthier they are, the healthier our businesses are because the healthier our relationships are. So, Empathy, value, this is like, you know, again, what is actually in it for them? And the, you know, you could actually deliver the value in the message or the experience, or you could promise it um, by taking you up on the call to action. And, and again, the simpler, faster, easier, lightest weight you can take uh, toward this, you're helping people out. Again, the goal is to make it easy for people, to meet them more than halfway, to make it easier for them to say yes and proceed. So another thing that I talk about in my book, I call it passion marketing. And in your book, you talk about the importance of, of uh, communicating our passions. And you specifically talk about communicating our passions with video. But, but why is it so important that we communicate our passions? Because typically, if we're in a healthy position, we're in a business that we believe in, we're in a role that we feel like taps into some part of our best self, that's super contagious to other people. Uh, I think a lot of this is about shared belief. I think a lot of uh, client customer relationships are based on shared belief. It's one of the reasons that purpose has become such an important, um, you know, to, with some negative charge, we could call it a buzzword. Um, but to the positive charge, it's, you know, in a commoditized world, in almost every space that a listener is operating in is commoditized. Bomb bomb, you know, we most of our early stage competitors are dead and gone. 
um, or generally speaking, irrelevant. That was like in our first three to five years of existence. And in the last three to five years, we've gotten this whole new crop of competitors. Some of them are sitting on tens, if not hundreds of millions of dollars of venture capital. So I wouldn't, I don't know that our space is commoditized, but it's getting very commoditized. And, and this is a new business. I mean, this is a new practice. This is a new philosophy. This is a new strategy. Um, is, these are new products. These are brand new companies in some cases, you know? And so think about a, a business that's 40 years old or 60 years old. I mean, it's to call it commoditized is an understatement in a lot of cases. And so what is the differentiator? The differentiator is customer experience. A great customer experience starts with a great employee experience. What binds employees to their organizations? What binds customers to their um, to their to the companies that they buy from, um, or subscribe to, or repeat purchase from, or take the time to review or refer other people to? A lot of it is in shared belief. Um, do we see the world approximately the same? Are your values similar to my own? And I don't mean that like you know in a really functional. Um, you know, are there politics? Do their politics agree with mine? Although we could easily come up with examples where that has swayed large masses of people. Um, and, and so it's, it's, is there a, so for example, someone asked about preferred clothing brands uh, on social media and I named two companies. And the reason I like them is that uh, I'm not a fashionable person. Anyone watching the clip could make that judgment pretty easily. Um, it, it's the way it's the way they source their materials. It's the way that they handle their labor. Um, it's the way that they have transparency in their supply chain. To me, that's important. Fashion and clothing is a filthy, filthy industry. There's so much environmental pollution and ill human health created by cheap clothing. Now, I will say that I have privilege. I can pay. X percent more or whatever, but these companies also stand behind their products for life. And both companies have either replaced or repaired anything that's gone wrong with a couple different pieces of clothing. And so that is a val that, that's values to me. They treat people well. They source their material well. They, they're trying to do it in a clean manner. They stand behind their product and they're creating transparency in their supply chain. There's shared belief and shared values there. If I need a new piece of clothing, I'm going to look to one of these two companies first. And so I think to the degree that we can communicate why we do the work that we do, how we do the work that we do, um, invite people into a conversation about this, invite people into co-creation of events and experiences that live these values out. I think the more we're creating loyalty that supersedes any kind of transactional stuff, this buys us the grace that we need when, because we all mess up, we all mess up, we all disappoint a customer we all have some kind of a failure. It might be, you know, in the supply chain, it might, might, might not be directly our fault, but we still have to take responsibility for it. The, the, the forgiveness that we get from our customers and our employees comes from this well of loyalty and shared belief and kinship around how we want to be in the world. And I think um, this doesn't have to be some airy-fairy experience. This can be very, very practical. But I think if you're passionate, A, you're going to invite people into conversation more. It's just naturally attractive. Sales is the transfer of emotion. And if you care at all, letting other people know that you care starts to be attractive to them. Like oh, this person is confident in their belief or their excitement or their interest in this situation or in my situation, or how I relate to that situation. So that's a, uh, an unstructured monologue on, um, <laughs> Uh, on purpose, shared belief, and passion. If you are passionate, one of the best things you can do is get in front of people. One of the next best things you can do is get on video.
Yeah, that's right. And so often people are scared about sharing their passions because they're scared about offending people. They're, they're scared about taking a point of view that not everybody's going to agree with. And, and when we do that, we fail to create connection opportunities with those people. If you share your passion about environmental consciousness in the clothing you purchase, right? There's going to be people that doesn't resonate with, and that's fine. But there's a whole bunch of people that is going to resonate with, and you just built a connection opportunity with those people. So we need to find our people, and our people are going to love doing business with us. And the only way we do that is is finding those connection points through shared passion. Yeah, just a quick add to that. You know, we're 150 people at BombBomb. We are of all political persuasions. We are of all different views and experiences, but there's a common core. It's this rehumanizing communication, rehumanizing populations of people who've been dehumanized that brings us together. So you might fear, this is for the listener, just like you said, you might fear that you're going to alienate people um, but people are more nuanced and complex than we often give them credit for when we think about them as numbers in a spreadsheet or as revenue uh, in some kind of a reporting system. If you light something up in some, we all play different roles in our lives. We're complex creatures. If you are excited about something and, and you think other people can and should be too, they will come to you even if you don't agree on every single aspect of, of who they are. It's just one part of their identity and you can help unlock it with them. And this environmental consciousness that you shared, for example, that's not going to turn anybody. I would doubt that there's any listener of the show that's going to say, I'm not going to buy human-centered communication because he cares about the environment. I don't think that hurts you anywhere, but it creates an opportunity for connection. Because you know what I'm, what I'm not doing when I say that, who could disagree with the idea that clean air, clean water, and clean soil are necessary precursors to true human health and thriving? At no no one can disagree. Where we can start to disagree is what do we do about the air quality in, in the Bountiful Valley? That gets complicated, but I'm not, ta I'm not taking a stand there. I'm just saying like, we need to talk about this. Let's stop acting like it's not there. Um, let's be better tomorrow than we are today. Okay. Let's, let's take a position that's opposite this and, and maybe it counterbalances and, and helps us explore this. There is a company I, I read about recently. I've never bought one of their products, but, but I've read about them and it's called Black Rifle Coffee. And, and they, they sell a product that has nothing to do with patriotism. Um, you know, coffee, right? It's just a commodity. It's coffee. Um, but they put a patriotic or they try, attempted to put a patriotic brand on on their coffee and called it I think it's called Black Rifle Coffee and they've been wildly successful they took a commodity and they associated a passion this this feeling of patriotism and all their marketing and they they tie it with uh tie it to this product um tell me your thoughts about that because patriotism definitely appeals to everyone i guess gun rights people might have an issue with that and and not want to buy the coffee does, does that cross the line that you're talking about here? Here's the thing. I think as long as it's true, I mean, you used the word authentic earlier. Um, if it's true, I would assume I'm going to go out on a limb and say that um, I don't know a lot about this company. I'm familiar with it by name, but I would say if these people have a, you know, um, uh, a military background, if perhaps X percent of revenue or X percent of profits are going toward causes that support wounded warrior products, projects or something like that. Yeah. Then I think it's real. I think if it's manufactured and, and it's, and here's the thing for some short period of time, a new tactic or a new approach can get over on large numbers of people, but that window is so short 
and it doesn't last long. I think the, the, if you are sincere in what you're doing, you're doing it for the right reasons, you believe in it, that there's some credible foundation there, then I think it's totally fine. And to your point, absolute commodity. Here's the deal. They don't have to sell coffee to everybody. There's already coffee for everybody. So if we're going to get into this space, then we need to do it in a way that creates a sense of community, a sense of shared identity, a sense of shared belief, a sense of shared values. And at some point that is going to either, either uh, result in, um, again, patience and forgiveness when things go sideways or uh, perhaps a chance to command a premium price. Um to do different kinds of things that are of benefit to everybody, including the company itself in a way that a, just to pick on one, Folgers can't. That's right. Because Folgers is just, uh, it's what my grandma drank. And so then it's what my mom drank. And so it's what I drink, you know, or whatever. I don't know why people drink Folgers, but like, um, you know, you're giving them something more in a highly commoditized space. And again, Almost everybody listening is in some kind of a commoditized space, probably. And the solution to that, I think the key takeaway from, from this line of communication right now is, is uh, niche it down, right? Let's, let's, let's go deep in our niche and let's find a group of our people, like you said, that you can build a community around. Um, generally, the more we niche it down, maybe the higher level passion we can create um, and make it real, make it authentic, be part of the community, give back to the community aggregate people about that community, find influencers in that community. And, uh, and we may find a way we can more effectively sell in that commoditized space. Thank you so much, Ethan, for sharing your stories and insights with us today. To learn more about or connect with Ethan, you can visit his website at bombbomb.com or you can get his books at amazon.com. And there's links to each of those sites in the blog post for this episode. You can also get a free ebook about passion marketing and learn how to become a top priority of your ideal customers at passionmarketing.com. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode, and I wish you success in your video marketing. Do you want to become a better digital monetizer? To receive great monetization stories and secrets, please go to monetizationnation.com and join free. And if you liked today's episode, please subscribe to the show and share it.